You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What is up? Welcome to the X-Band Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. As always, much gratitude for checking out the show. I'm in New York City, Manhattan. I'm up in Manhattan right now. Uh, <laughs> Bad Wolves just played down here. Uh, we played at the Gramercy Theater, had a great show a couple days ago, and... Ended up canceling the show because Tommy wasn't his is having issues with some physical and uh, health issues, so we ended up taking a show a day off. And uh, so yeah, so I got to spend a couple of days in the city, which is cool. It's enjoyable, you know. It's like my home area, but I'm not from New York. But I spent a lot of time in New York, but you know, a lot a lot of friends. Got to see a lot of friends at that show. I want to thank everyone who came out. I think it was sold out or it was close to sold out, but it was a it was quite a um, a whirlwind of a day and it was pretty intense because we got to meet um Dolores O'Reardon's a widower uh stepson and son uh the two other girls were I guess according to um the uh the husband that um Don that they were a little too young to really kind of take in the whole the whole thing so they came and visit us at the show and then we presented them with a a check a donation check for a quarter million dollars um and it was uh yeah it was it was very intense and kind of, I want to say unexpected but it was um it's it's one thing to kind of have this I guess talking point and I hate you know and even that is a little bit reductionist but you know this this idea that we're the song we're going to give money to the family and then you actually do it and then it's it's that significant you know it's a yeah it was it was a very uh intense moment but i want i want to thank them for for making the trip and uh kind of sharing that that moment with the band um and kind of just accepting us you know and everything that's happened you know because you know they're dealing with their the way they have to get through it in a, in a obviously a, an intense and personal and intimate way that we could never really understand. Um, but somehow through what's happened, there is some connection 
there and um you know we're getting ready to play a show and we're in there's a kind of certain amount of positivity and focusing on the music and that thing so it, you know it, it definitely wasn't i say the easiest in, interaction but i definitely appreciate uh that experience you know and so yeah so it was it was pretty intense and the show went great and the tour is going great I'm, I'm really actually pleasantly surprised with how the headline tour is going everyone is having a lot of fun real quick i just kind of wanted to talk about something uh, that I posted on Facebook. Uh, the, I posted a video, I shared a video, and the the kind of the title, you know some of these titles and, and things they put on there are meant to kind of get your attention and, and be a little jarring, but it says, your job is a waste of your life. Now, if you watch the video, it, it just generally breaks down uh, how much of your actual living and vital time is spent working you know and what the in a lot of people i noticed took uh took offense to this and and what they kind of i think missed about it or the point i was i was trying to make and why, why i shared it and why i agreed with it um is not that your your job is a waste of your life it's that if you go somewhere and spend you know you have 24 hours in the day and eight hours out of that day because consider it a third of the time you're sleeping you know a third of the time you're working and then you have that other third of the day for whatever you want to do, you know, that's a huge chunk of your existence, of your waking existence. And if you're doing that, you know, spending that time doing something you don't enjoy, that it will have a grave impact on the totality of, of your existence. And I think what a lot of people took that as, is me saying, oh, I'm Mr. Guitar Player, I'm Mr. This over here, and working is bullshit. And that's not what I what that's not the point at all. It's about a means to an end. And, you know, oftentimes I'll hear people complain about something that's not working in their life. And my, you know, the way my, my mind works is like, well, then then stop doing that. That thing that if you don't, oh, you don't like that, then, then, then don't do it. And oftentimes people say, well, you know, it's well. I have kids or I have, I have th these responsibilities and I, I totally get that. But you know, for the choices I made in my life, I purposefully said, I don't want to have children now because I have other things that are more important to me. So I totally understand if you have, you have children, then yes, you're put in a position where maybe you have to do something you don't like to do because there's a greater end. There's, you know, the, the priorities have, have shifted and I, and I say to those people, you're doing the right thing and you're, you're, you're being responsible. But I made a choice, especially after I left God forbid of like, all right, what can I do where I'm not miserable? It wasn't that a problem working. I just didn't want to do a job that I hated or I hated being there. I was, or I was counting the hours. I was just hating my life. So I tried to take the, take jobs and go after jobs that I enjoyed. I enjoyed bartending. I enjoyed teaching guitar and, you know, and even some stuff that was a big challenge. I was just excited to take things on and see if I could do it. Like when I worked at the NBA, I mean, that wasn't the most quote unquote enjoyable job day to day, but it was gratifying in the fact that I am seeing if I can learn new things, if I can kind of be put in a challenging position and take what I can get out of that. But what I did was I prioritized to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going 
to, you know, because everyone needs to pay the bills, right? So what I said was I'll work just enough to kind of get by, but leave myself enough spare time so that I could work on music, so that I could write articles and eventually start this podcast. And I always looked at that my time was more valuable than the money. And because I wanted to spend my time doing the things I enjoyed or I found the most gratifying. So I was willing to take a step back lifestyle wise, or I was willing to not be able to go out or have the greatest car or have the nicest clothes because I felt it was more important to me to have that time to work on the creative stuff or just be able to get up and say, hey, I wanna work on this, as opposed to having to get up and say, I have to go work on someone else's schedule and and sacrifice that. It wasn't worth it to me. I would have rather said, even around that time, I didn't have a girlfriend. I was like, you know what, I don't have enough money. I can't afford to have a girlfriend right now because this is the priority, you know? And oftentimes I think what happens is, especially when people get career minded when they're younger is they get a job and they start accumulating things. They get a house, they get nicer cars, they get, they, they get used to going on vacation, they get used to certain things and then those things become the validation of why they need to do the thing they don't like, you know? Um, so, I get it for, you know, if you have children, I think you're you're living kind of in a different calculus. And I can't say, oh, you know, I didn't plan on, you know, who knows, maybe I could have, something could have went another way and maybe I would have a kid now and my whole thing would, would have changed. So I can definitely empathize with that different experience. Um, but one thing I can say with, with, with regard to children and kind of following your dreams and doing, you know, perhaps doing something you want to do, I think it oftentimes when you have people who have uh, children early and maybe before they're completely ready financially. And so then the parents are scrapping. They're just trying to get by, you know, they're like, you know, and, and then they often pass that, um, you know, desperation of, man, we need to get by. We need to survive, 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 survive. That you get so used to that mentality of just getting by that it actually gets in the way of going for something much bigger. And, um, you know, so this is so this is not a, me a way of saying, "Hey, be like me." I'm not I'm not saying be like me, but what that video was trying to say, or what I'm trying to say, why I agree with it, is that there's nothing more valuable than your time, because you can't get it back, and you especially can't get your time back at your ages when you have the most energy, and that's what I value, and I think that's more important than just about anything. And like I said, that's, that's me personally. And I know, uh, and I don't want to tell other people what to do or say that my way is, is the best way, but it just works for me. So, you know, that purpose, of that post was not to shit on people who were working quote unquote regular jobs. Cause I, you know, I've done, not done everything, but I've done a little bit of, of stuff and I have no shame around it. I think you have to go nothing wrong with doing some work out there at all. I take pride in everything I do. Anyway, that was a that was a pretty good rant. I had fun on that one. How'd you guys was that okay? A, B, C? I don't know. Done better, done worse. Real quick, let's get into this week's show sponsor. We have a band from Indianapolis, Indiana, and they are called Iron Gates. And we are going to play a track entitled The Huntress.
that was a track from the band The Iron Gates from their EP entitled The Story Thus Far, which came out last year. And you can check that out on, they have a Bandcamp page. Let me get that for you. That's uh, theirongates.bandcamp.com backslash music. And also you can check them out on facebook.com backslash the iron gates and they also have some shows coming up which i would like to mention on june 27th they'll be playing at jokers in indianapolis downtown and then they'll also be playing on july 21st at state street pub also in indianapolis thank you guys i really actually enjoyed that track those dudes got some motherfucking riffs huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show let you know i have I just got a few more interviews while I was in New York, thank the Lord, and we have some openings for sponsorships, so please reach out if you would like your band featured on the X-Man podcast. You got to get the X-Man podcast bump, you know, so please hit me up on social media or drop me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com, and real quick, also have to shout out our other show sponsor, rockabilia.com. They're the number one stop shop for all things band merch. And they have other things too. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I went down to the warehouse. I got me. Here, here's all the non-band stuff I got. I got a Rambo sweatshirt. Yes, Rambo. I got a Dawn of the Dead t-shirt and a Night of the Living Dead t-shirt. And then I also got an Aliens t-shirt. So they have a lot of stuff. And I was walking around and I, I picked up this Beatles shirt. And I was like, all right. And they had a lot of Beatles shirts. And I found what a Beatles shirt I liked more. I put the other one down. And I got me my, my Abbey Road shirt. So rockabilla.com is the bomb. You know, maybe that should be their new uh, their new tagline. Rockabilla.com. They are the bomb. Rhyming works. You know, I don't think any ad agencies are going to be hiring me anytime soon. But you know what? Doing my best over here, guys. This is what you get. This is what you get. But... Uh, <laughs> Huge shout out to rockabilia.com. Uh, check them out. We have an exclusive Bad Wolves t-shirt available over there. And you can get 15% off if you use our discount code PC Jabberjaw. Rockabilia.com. Check them out. Now, with that out the way, business, business, business. You know how it is, guys. Hard to keep the lights on over here at the X-Man Mansion. Yes, yes, it is. Gotta put gas in the uh the old tour bus, uh, ho-hos, ding-dongs, these things are not free. So I want to talk real quick about our guest we have this week. This is a man named Mr. Steve Joe. He, you know, they say you should never trust a man with two first names, but I'll make an exception in this case. You know, Steve Joe was the A&R guy at Century Media Records that took over after the original guy, Tom B., left who's the guy who signed us so he was basically the guy who took over and was our a and r uh guy at central media for the majority of the time we were at the label so we have a very very you know intimate relationship and uh subsequently in recent years he's left and gone over to prosthetic records and he really is a music metal industry lifer and really just a close friend and I've wanted to have him on for a while. As you guys kind of know, one of the goals of this podcast is being it is the X-Man. And for me, I'm the X-Man of the band, God forbid, is to I'm putting together essentially a somewhat oral history of 
what happened with that band and everyone who was involved. And I want, you know, the people, the main players and people that were really trying to push that rock up the hill. I want to get their story and I want their side of it and their take. And, you know, hopefully that's, that doesn't get too repetitive. Um, trying to kind of put that story together. So, you know, I'm going to, I'll probably try and space it out too much so that, so it's not too much of that. So maybe once every couple months, we'll have someone who was a key figure in the God forbid story. Um, so I, you know, repetition does get on my nerves and speaking of repetition, I also was important for me to get another industry episode here, not just have band dudes that kind of, listen, I love band dudes. I'm a band dude, but I want to talk to other people and not just tell that arc, um, in terms of career stuff. So this was important to me as well. So, um, and I think this is, I think we talk about it, but I think this is Steve's first podcast and I'm honored that he chose to do it on my show. So please check out my conversation with the lovely and respectable Steve Joe. So have you done a podcast before? No, never. You've never done a podcast. Have you ever been asked to do a podcast before? Uh, no, never. No one, no one asked to see. Well, the thing is, so do you remember that list that Metal Sucks put together of like the most influential people in yeah. in metal? Yes, I do. Yeah. And uh, I figured after that, that just the the flurry of interest towards all things Steve Joe related would just be coming through. No, I no, I don't. I don't think not too many people know who I am. And I'm I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with they, that. I, how did I, they know, though, that what you were doing just because you deal with them all the time? Yeah, I've uh, probably yeah. I, I've I've reached you know I used to reach out a bunch. I still do to try and get stuff with our bands. But I think I think I might have been like even the first label person to actually hit them up. Um, really? Yeah, I, th- I think so. They they I, th- I thought that's what they had, they had told me. But uh, I I found out that I found that site um, about the same time that I wanted to do a uh, a metal site pretty much just like that. Now, was this be based on your personal opinions? You were just start the site as a business and get other people to do cr- content. Uh, I it really it didn't even get that far. I think it the site was actually up for a month, and it was with uh, Andrew Sample. What was it called? Remember. It was called Chuck Roaster. Chuck Roaster. <laughs> it, was, it was basically uh, how would metalheads know to go? That sounds like a barbecue site. It was. It was going to be. <laughs> it was because you know Sample and I were both. You know, like I think I was in Baton Rouge at the time. And but Sample, if you guys are listening, Andrew Sample was oh, sorry, yeah. the radio guy at Central Media yeah. back in the Dizzy. Yeah, and I think he was living in Kansas still at the time. We were both just kind of, you know, older dudes who liked metal and barbecue. And we were like, we should just start a website where we just talk about beer and barbecue and metal, but give it, we were going to have personas. Like I was Chuck and it, the Chuck Roaster, there's a Chuck Roaster or Chuck Roast, I think, you know, the, the meat thing there's, but uh, we were going to kind of like roast bands. It was going to be all tongue in cheek. It was going to be very, very similar to what Metal Sucks was, but just focus a lot on, on barbecue and beer as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it lasted a month and we both were just like, yeah, we just, it, it just wasn't both of us just, we didn't, we kind of had the idea, but we didn't really know how to execute it after that. Well, the reason why I brought up that list, cause I was thinking it'd be kind of cool for myself. Cause I knew a lot of people know on that list and I was like, maybe I'll go and eventually try and get every, most of the people from that and, 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 and talk to them. But anyway, the reason why you're here 
and the reason why I wanted to speak to you is part of what I've been doing with the podcast is going through the God forbid catalog of people who are instrumental in our career and had a hand in, in everything that happened and kind of a learning about that that person in general, but also kind of getting their take on on what happened. Like I, I spoke to the Rev, our former manager. I, uh, I've had some of the guys in the in the band on. I'm actually going to talk to Tom B coming up. I think in in, nice. in, in Lancaster who who signed us. So for I'm sure I don't even say for those who don't know. People just generally don't know. So when God forbid signed to Central Media Records in the year 2000, which sounds like the future, but it's actually the past. In the year 2000, uh, <laughs> uh, this guy Tom B signed us. He signed Shadows Fall, and right essentially when our record de determination was supposed to come out, he quit and then Steve became our A&R guy. So this was in 2001 in winter, beginning of 2001, because the record came out in February. And I think he quit maybe in January, like right when we were finishing the recording. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. So how long had you been at Century Media at that time? Oh, I think it was probably a little over a year. Yeah, I think. So and I, now, were you A and R at that time? No, no, I did Noise Records. Okay. Uh, for Century. Is that Pissing Razors? Uh, Pissing Razors, uh, Substance D. Uh, of course, they had Halloween, uh, the Halloween catalog, the Celtic Frost catalog, Voivod catalog. We we were doing some reissues, but so uh, it was mostly for catalog, not necessarily much as much for new bands. It. We were trying to get new bands. We were trying to, my, my, like, as a kid, Noise and Metal Blade, they were my favorite labels. And I was at Century Media for maybe two months. And they kind of, they brought, did a meeting and said, hey, we're, we're now going to do Noise Records in North America. Uh, we need someone to, 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 to do it. And no one wanted, I was like the only one like, yeah, like, I'll do it. Fuck yeah. Like I was, like I said, I love Noise Records. So I wanted to be like, man, th that, that label was so good, so great when I was a kid. Like, let's try and bring it back to its, you know, mm. and, and try and actively sign U.S. bands because it just seemed like they really weren't focusing. So you worked too for much. Century Media, but they were like, we're yeah. gonna redo. So this. I was, I was in, I was on the Century Media payroll, but my job was originally just promotions for for Noise. They had had an A and R guy. So how did you even meet any of the people from Century Media? Uh, I guess to back it up, I was working at Caroline Distribution in New York um, in the marketing department. And uh, my first day at the job, uh, they again called in a meeting for all the marketing people. And this was 95, 96. So this was metal was not big at all. It was the, the, the dark years. The dark years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the, the main guy was like, OK. And he kind of like rolled his eyes inside. He's like, you know, all the metal labels are trying, you know, they've been trying to push this program. They all want to team up and, and, and do this advertising program together. And it was it was noise, uh, century media. Now, this like uh, magazines, like end caps or what are we talking about? Uh, Co-op marketing. So re retail marketing. So, yeah, end caps. And uh, we ended up we ended up taking out ads in, 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 in the papers and major markets with all the labels we could bind and, you know, split the ads evenly mm -hmm. and push the releases. But yeah, the guy was like, they just, they, they keep hounding me to do this. We, we got to do it. You know, like just, we got to shut them up. Uh, who wants to do it? And it was the same thing. And I was just like, I'll, I'll do it. And first day on the job. And, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember just, you know, putting together some bullshit plan of just, 
things that I'd heard other people talk about because you know, I interned there before. So kind of like pretending like I knew what I was doing. And uh, the guy at Century Media, I remember I we faxed it. You know, I faxed it to all the labels. And the guy at Century Media, like I get a phone call maybe like 15 minutes later and he's going, what the fuck is this? Like, what, what, what are you doing? What does this even mean? <laughs> like kind of bitching me out. And I was just like, man, I'm sorry. Like this is the first day like I just got hired. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I love metal and I love your labels and the label. So I'm, I'm here to help. And after that, he was like, oh, because like they had said, like, no one gave a fuck about them because yeah. like it, they were selling, you know, Chemical Brothers records and, you know, grunge still was kind of on its last legs. So they were so excited that there was a metal guy there that he, that guy pretty much trained me how to do my job. He was like, oh, well, here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I just always, you know, I we. I think they distributed 300 labels, but I always, because I was a metal fan, I always worked the metal labels, you know, gave them a little extra love. Um, and yeah, eventually Century just, they had, they had offered me a job. Right on. Yeah. So you were there for a year and then Tom B quits. Yeah. And so how does, how does that go? Is that a shock to everyone? Uh if I remember correctly, I think he had kind of confided early on that he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And again, this was so long ago, but I, if, if I remember correctly, because, you know, the bands that he had signed, like you guys, Shadows Fall, Haste, uh, Haste I was like, oh man, these are like, I, I loved them and I was really excited about them. So I think he had said like hey man i'm because he he want he loved you guys as well and he wanted to make sure his bands were taken care of you know you always hear those stories of like yeah our a and r guy left and the new guy didn't know what to, you know so i think he had kind of felt me out earlier to be like you know like all right if you know if i were to leave and you know you were offered it would you would you be interested and i was like yeah yeah absolutely so i, I think when it actually happened i don't I don't think I was, I think when he first told me he was leaving, I remember going like, well, why? Like, like, you know, (laughs) like, like that's, that's what everyone wants to do when they get in the music industry is, is A&R because they, they think it's like a, such a glamorous thing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just went like, wow, why are you doing this? But uh, so what, what would you say if you had to describe to, to, to the layman, what does an A&R person do? Or, or at least in, in terms of what you did? I, th- I think there's, I think an A&R at an independent label versus an A&R at a major label. Very different. Very different. Like, you know, my, my Gitter, like when he was, I think at Roadrunner, it was like, man, he just made records. And I just remember going, I, you know, this was you know, 10 years into it when I was like, wow, that's all you do? Like, oh, like that's the life. Like that's the job. Well, he wants. was in involved with the produ- pr- production, involved with picking songs and yeah. guiding the band yeah. and almost being an executive producer. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the, the definition of A&R is, well, artists and repertoire is like, you find the talent, you make the record and yeah. you, you can work on songs. And, and then once that's it, like you're done. Well, um, I, well, my, my memory of the, of that time is think, you know, having really no idea of the record industry, but having a kind of cartoonish idea of, watching you know wayne's world and seeing what the quote-unquote a and r guy does or something and 
be seeing from like I said from the independent level that you guys were hands off. No one really told us what to do. The the label just seemed to like the band for what it was. Yeah. So you just let the band I, I guess essentially be artists and then once you have the product, I mean obviously there was help with hey, we want to use this producer. Yeah. Uh hey, we're going to and and at the time we were working with the syndicate, so I guess they were doing a lot of the uh the actual communication and figuring everything out like okay, we have this budget, we want to do this and kind of handling all that stuff. So it seemed to be a bit more logistical, I guess. Yeah, I, I would say at Century Media, like I, for most of my bands, well, not most, a lot of the bands, all I did was just, you know, take invoices back and forth and get them paid. Yeah. Because, yeah, we, Century and I think most independent and maybe even more independent metal labels, they're, I think, are extremely hands off. It's like, yeah. all right, here's the money, make, make the record. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to tell you how, you know, I, I would tell our band, I still tell my band, it's like, if you want input, I'll give it to you, but there's a reason I'm on this end of the, you know, on this side of the industry and not where you're at because I can't play guitar. I can't write a song. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like yeah. you, you, we're signing you because you have the talent. Um, so, so yeah, it, you know, my current job and my previous job, it wasn't, we, yeah, we weren't, I wasn't in there making records. I wasn't for the most part telling them to cut here and cut that. It was, once we, we signed the band, um, you know, what I did was like, there was some contract negotiation. We're reading contracts. It's like, all right, you sign the band, you talk to the band and pick a producer. If they don't have a producer in mind, you know. You so the bands you signed were Yakuza, Kanderia, and was Psy? Uh, not, uh, yeah, Yakuza was one, Kanderia. Psy wasn't uh, officially mine. I think that was done out of the European office, okay. but it was like they had said, like, hey, do you want to sign size? I was like, yeah, absolutely. So but, how does that work? So you go and you, at that point, so I think that's actually a, a cool dichotomy. By the way, I had Bruce Lamont. He was actually, I, I think, the second first or third, yeah, third yeah. Uh, guest on the show. Big, you know, wouldn't know Bruce without you. So thank you for that connection. Love that guy. Uh, but two bands, right, in a very similar world, eclectically, mm -hmm. but... Candiria had a name, and Yakuza really was an unknown quantity, right? Yeah, at no, that no. point, they were a demo band. They were, they were a band signed because they mailed the demo, yeah. and I that I opened <laughs> up all the packages. That's what we did, but we went, but it was through a recommendation, essentially. Yeah, Eric, Eric right? Well, Eric and Steve Evans. Okay, and I think Eric, Steve Evans, and I guess Alan Douches, the mastering engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All. I don't know who physically sent it, but it came from that recommendation of like. I had always heard it was it was Eric. Okay, got Tom's Tom's ear on it, but. But yeah, I think with yeah those guys had sent in a demo, and I remember like the packaging was cool, the name was cool, but then it's like oh you're, he's from Chicago, and I grew up outside Chicago, and like we ended up just talking. We're the same age. It's like, oh, you were at this show, you know like we. Yeah, we just kind of hit it off. But it's something like that. Is it a situation where you are given uh, carte blanche to look for bands? Are you always on the hunt? Always. Yeah. So it's not like you need to sign six bands this year. Or is it, hey, if you find something that you think works, then let us know. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was yeah, always look, always see who's coming up, always 
Were there other um, American ANR at that no, time? At the it was time, just, it was just me. But primarily, a lot of the it seemed you know you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. A lot of the stuff was coming from Germany, though, right? Uh, or, is that, or is that not really? No, accurate? I think I think well with Sentry at the time. You know, they were a German-owned company, and the main office was in Germany. So I think a lot of the business and the signings were done there. And when I started at Sentry, you know, I was the ninth employee. I mean, they were they were still but, kind but, of growing. That's what I'm saying. So let's let's think about this. So you have so when we joined, I was under the impression in 2000 when we signed that the biggest bands were Iced Earth and Stuck Mojo, both American bands. Yeah. But were they signed by the German office, or was there actually an uh, American representation? At oh that no, time? I think uh, I, I'm not 100 percent sure on Ice Earth. I think Stuck Mojo was signed by Bori from Bo- from Blabbermouth. Really? Yeah. He used to work at Century. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm he learning. was he was a and I'm 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 pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or even Nevermore was Nevermore signed by the German. I office? think that was Bori too. Really? Wow. I'm pretty sure. Bori holding it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I think world, if I remember correctly, I think those were the biggest U.S. bands who really weren't. Well, I think Ice Earth was doing more in Europe than in the states. They Stuck still Mojo. did like fifty thousand, I think, on some of those records. which yeah. was like the benchmark. It seemed like. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Those were two. Those were the biggest U.S. bands. But I think maybe, you know, Samael might have been doing more just in Europe. And you know, who else did they have back then? Yeah, Unleashed. And, yeah. Um, so Unleashed I, was moving units. I'm pretty sure they were, yeah. Moon, Moonspell, you know. Moonspell, like, yeah. okay. So I, I think most, I think most of, while, you know, while Stuck Mojo was moving numbers, I don't know if they were a profitable band. Because they, it was, they because, were expensive bands. Yeah, they were, so much money was put in. And Sneep Records and Tour Support, tour things support, like that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I, th- I think right around that time when you were signed and maybe a, a couple of years earlier, it was, oh, Century is now turning a profit in the States. Gotcha. So once they started making money on their own, I think then it was like, okay, you, you, you've you proven, you you guys know what you're doing. This was under Marco, Mario, Marco's you know, reign. You know, they had said to Marco, like, all right, once you, you know, you're obviously you know what you're doing you're making us money just go ahead with it and then i think more u.s bands started getting signed and more bands were being pushed there and that's you know that's when the label kind of broke yeah well the interesting thing about that time and why we were so interested in signing central media and that i loved the label was that they seemed to have everything right so it we love nevermore but we also love marauder and we seem to be somewhere in the middle of all that. And that's why it, it seemed for us like probably the best fit at that time. But so we put out Determination beginning of 2001. And, you know, having you involved, it was this thing where Tom B signed us and he was so enthusiastic and really uh, ushered that whole recording process and, and everything that, that went through. And there was a lot of enthusiasm. But and we really, I think, the other guys were familiar with you because they had visited uh, California for the party, for the Central Media party that, that Nevermore played. I don't know, Dallas and Corey, I think, had went out and visited. And uh, but so we didn't really know you that much, but it was like a blessing in disguise because 
you were very supportive of the band from day one. No, I remember. I, I first met all you guys at the New Jersey Metal Fest. Were you there? Yes, because I, I was because Tom was that. still A&R then and you guys were playing and Tom didn't go. And I just remember going like, I got to go say hi to these guys because I was still doing noise. And so I really had nothing to do with with you guys. But I was just like that, that metal fest was so shot. <laughs> and I remember we met yeah. that was the day we met to do some skin lab. Yeah. And we rolled up. And we're like, hey, what's up? We're in God forbid. We just signed Centripede. And they just they gave us they didn't even give us the time of day. They were like, sure, kid. Sure, you, sure you are. I think I, I remember you telling me that story. They were yeah. probably, you know what? They probably were just like bummed out that they was at this shitty metal festival half, you know, on with, the opposite side of the country with, with the curtain dividing the the stages. Yeah. So, so for people you don't know, they did this crazy metal fest in was that the one in Pensacola, like at the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, and it was in a, a room that kind of looked like an airplane hangar. Yeah. And there must have been what four hundred people there or something insane. There was like no one there. An SOD headlined, and I think Skin Lab was was main support, and yeah. just no one gave a fuck. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And the curtains divided the stages. Yes, yeah. they should have had a curtain that held four hundred people, <laughs> which were there. So but yeah, that that's when I first met you guys because I I remember just going like, oh, I'm, I'm like I made a point to go find all of you because to welcome you to the label because I think you guys had just just, just signed. recently signed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty brutal, but. What I'm saying is I felt, and you as an extension of everyone who was there at that time, you know, cause we, this was really funny. So we did our first time playing LA. We didn't even play. We were, we were on tour on essentially a century media tour outside of, uh, so it was Nevermore, Opeth and Angel Dust. And I think Opeth was the only non-century media band, but it was very century media centric and we were supposed to play LA and we literally missed the show. We didn't have a tour manager and we didn't realize it was an early show. So the show had, we were supposed to play, I guess like five yeah. or something. And we didn't realize, showed up too late, missed our show. Our band was overheating, it was a mess. And, but we, we got to actually meet everyone at the label, go visit people. You know, that's when like back in the day, they would take you to the warehouse. They say, hey, you want, and you get like a box of CDs <laughs> and you'd be super pumped. Um, you know, and and it's and everyone who was initially there, um, it seemed like everyone was pretty invested in the band. Yeah, and it was cool. It yeah. was it was cool. And one thing I remember about the time was, I think that at the projections or the hope was that the determination sell ten thousand copies, yep. and and I think we did like thirteen hundred the first week or something, something like that, uh, and. We, and we weren't, it wasn't like we were doing huge chores. We were just out grinding and it just seemed, but we just kept working. And the more we did, the more Century Media did, you know? And I imagine that was pushed a lot by the enthusiasm for the band, you know, and the fact that this seemed between us and Shadows Fall and what Lamb of God was doing, there seemed to be this new thing kind of happening. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of excitement just with, like you said, with with Shadows Fall and Lamb of God and, and even in Killswitch. Um, and, you know, I remember Marco going like, we've got two of the best, if not the best. Um, and it, uh, yeah, yeah, at that, that time, like there was, like, we were we were still kind of small. I think there was maybe like 12, 14, 15 people there at the time. Um, but it was just a great vibe because we would all work together and we'd go out afterwards and, 
you know, drink together. And then it was kind of a thing where like, you know, we'd be out till two and everyone would, you know, you better be there at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. It was like, who's going to get there first? So we like, we all, everyone just wanted to work and, and break, break you guys and yeah. all the other bands. Uh, yeah. So, fun. so the record ended up selling over 20,000. Yeah. So it, it, it exceeded a lot of the expectations, but then kind of in that midst of that, you know, between that record and the next record, Shadows Fall breaks and Lacuna Coil break. And it kind of changes the complexity of, of what is going on at the label. It changes the the kind of high mark of what can happen. What was going on? What do you think? Was that something that was happening industry-wise? Or is it something that Century Media figured out something about how to get a record to sell 100 or 200,000 copies? <sighs> Honestly, it was... <laughs> it. I don't... I don't know if Sentry, Sentry definitely pushed the bands for sure. Mm. But I think a lot of it was timing. I think a lot of it was the work that uh, that that Shadow Swall was putting in, uh, and Lacuna Coil was kind of a fluke. Yeah, it was. Well, I have a theory about that. Well, I mean, I go go ahead. So my my theory, maybe it's not even this is even a unique theory, or any not me being some kind of a hot take genius or anything. Just that a lot of times a really big band comes out creates a lane that didn't exist mm -hmm. and in this case i think evanescence came out blew up sold what five ten million copies of that record and took a really long time to put out a follow-up record and i think it created this new lane for kind of electronic female driven gothic rock music and they just it's just it's a lane and then someone comes in and well, where's the new Evanescence record? Well, how about you know? And here's this other band that's not that they they didn't sound like Evanescence, but it was enough in the ilk that it it seemed to kind of have a big place. And they were very accessible band, very yeah. great live band too. Yeah, I, th th that yeah, I'm sure there that had a lot to do with it. But um, with with that band with Lacuna, like you know, I think if I remember correctly. Uh, I think management and labels goal for Lacuna Coil was 5,000 and Century we had we had worked that record for quite a few months and I think they were at like 7,500 um, and if I remember correctly the manager was like oh I was trying to get them on an Opeth tour mm -hmm. and the manager was like that's cool but we, we did good we're gonna take them home and we're gonna work on a new record um, and then 9-11 happened I think mm -hmm. Opeth tour got postponed ended up asking Lacuna Coil to come out again to come out for it uh, I think they had accepted and then there was a Boston station the wave uh, a woman there had gotten a hold of one of the songs and started playing it and it was just classic like people called in like what is what is that with it and kept on requesting it it went number one on this Boston station all the other stations Around, like, there. around that was like well who's this Lacuna Coil and then they started playing it and then that was a radio hit yeah. and it was it wasn't anything that century heaven's a lie heaven's a lie like band wasn't pushing for it label wasn't pushing for it management it was just a totally just organic thing where and then they they ended up just breaking and yeah. then of course century came in and you know worked it around that but that was that was pretty much a fluke like the band and management were like we're happy with this cycle like we're well, I remember when we did Ozfest, they were the biggest selling yeah. band of the whole second stage. Yeah. I think until, besides Slipknot, they were the biggest selling band. Yeah. And it wasn't close. They were crushing everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, to, to answer your question, it's like, I don't, and I think with a lot of, a lot of circumstances in the industry, it's, it's just a lot of it is chance. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it is timing. Yeah. Um, but most of it comes down to, I think, what the bands do and the labels kind of are just kind of support that. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Yeah. Well, so one interesting thing, so we do deter the entire determination cycle. And I've talked about this a bunch about how we had done all this work. We saw all these records, but still felt like we kind of failed in a lot of ways. And around literally right at this time, you quit Century Media. You moved to New Jersey to work for your uncle, right? Yeah. And so you you were a, a food uh, scientist. Food scientist, yeah. Right. So this was, first off, I was upset that he left Century Media, but he moved to New Jersey. So we were excited because we get to like actually hang out and, and, and see Steve. And then Steve does <laughs> the craziest thing ever. He hates his, uh, his job and he quits his job and then he starts touring with God forbid. He becomes, <laughs> I think maybe the only, maybe the second- I didn't have any other options. Tech, it, well, it's not like we were paying much. Did we even pay you? No. We no. didn't pay you at all? No. Are you serious? That's well, terrible. We, should, we can get into that, but go on. Um, but I'm pretty sure you brought up the idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so basically what happened was, I think we did, it was two tours. It was the Atreyu mm -hmm. tour. So this is summer 2003. Mm -hmm. And then in fall 2003, we did the Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Or winter. Or was that reversed? It was one before the other. The summer, yeah, no, the Treyu first. Yeah. Then. So it was it was actually this interesting time for the band because while we were working on a new record and kind of having this almost mini implosion moment where everyone was just questioning everything and we were kind of miserable because we had done all this work, but then Lamb of God, Shadows Fall, and Killswitch were taking off. Yeah. And we're like, what the fuck? We've been over here doing it. And we, we felt like we weren't getting our piece of the pie. We were just mad. And um, but it was kind of cool, you know, because we felt like we were taking a step back 
in a way like opening up for a band like a Treyu. But if we had been thinking about it right, we actually would have realized, oh, this is actually really cool. We're opening up for this band that's kind of taking off and having this stuff. But anyway, so Steve was driving the van while he and he would be drinking coffee and eating lunch meat <laughs> and being jacked. Steve was so ripped. I was so mad. I, I will never be as in good shape as Steve was. Six pack, chest bumping, you know. And then you, do you shave your head at that point? I did. He shaved his head, you know. So he was just basically better looking, more ripped Doc, you know. So he's driving the van, doing merch, and uh, and we were just happy to have Steve out. But it, it was a reflection of, I guess, a more innocent time for me in the music industry where the people involved gave a shit you know and i don't i don't know if that how much that really happens anymore you know that that hey we have this person who it has a business relationship with us but no this guy is willing and actually eager to, to like to come out and help the band and it's not about money it's about we believe in something we're here together so it was very like a touching time it's very i guess i can look back on it romantically Oh, those 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 are some of my favorite memories ever. <laughs> Do you remember flipping so out fun. on the side of the road? Didn't you like punch the uh, trailer I, or something? I, uh, I, you can still see. I, I punched. The, well, this was this goes back to uh, if you paid me or not. This was the very last day of the tour, and the deal was we were all going to split whatever was left over equally. I don't remember any of the deal. <laughs> was it my fault? I was no, the no. Remember, we broke down six times in six months. Oh, so we kept losing, six weeks. So I'm we sorry. kept losing money. So the very last day, we were like, I don't know, maybe four hours outside of New Jersey at a gas station, and and I had done all the books, and it was like, all right, we're going to pay the merch bill, we're going to pay the label, we're going to give management. All right, here's what we're going to split equally. And it was like 60 bucks. <laughs> and that's why you punched. I think so we all made like 10 bucks. <laughs> because because we kept losing money because Yeah, of... like we remember we it was six six times in 6 weeks and it would happen to be during that Memorial Day into July 4th weekend. So the first weekend was Memorial Day and I think we broke down Friday night, Memorial Day weekend. So there was nothing open until Monday. Yeah. And I think we like sat on the side of the highway in Maryland for like two days. No. It, it was something like that. I think, you know what it is about a lot of <laughs> stuff like that is in my life, the times when I'm maybe the least happy with something, I almost, not that I don't remember it, but I almost, I guess my mind just kind of disregards it in a, in a in a in a sense like even like i remember a lot of the the later touring god forbid did on those mm -hmm. with we did a tour with uh shadows fall and like five finger and people will talk about stuff and i don't remember it because those were times when i wasn't happy with the yeah. band and you're not and i think in those times you don't you're not savoring those moments you're kind of uh you know in the movie they'll have like a montage yeah. Where you, it's a long period of time, but they skip through it. Yeah. I think sometimes that's what you maybe when you're the least happy, you kind of do that. You just go on autopilot yeah. to kind of get through whatever difficult time. Yeah. So yeah. maybe, so I remember the good nights on the tour, <laughs> you know, you don't remember, but you I, but no, but I, but I remembered you punching something. So <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. That was just, yeah. That see, was, see, the thing is we were used to making $60. So I, I don't think it was that detrimental. The thing I hated was missing shows. Like that's why 
So if we broke down, I wouldn't be even mad that we weren't making money. I would just be mad that we didn't make the show. Yeah. You know, that was the the value. We'd never, those early years, we just never made money. We were just, I don't think we made any money from the band till maybe 2005. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, we would go out and it was just $5, $10. Did you eat today? No, I don't know. Yeah. But there was no expectation of making money, I think. Yeah. But I guess, I guess, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, for those six weeks, it's not like we still had a blast. Yeah. You know, we, got, we, we ate, we had a place to sleep, even some were pretty sketchy. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, because those, those are back in the days, I guess, when we would just, hey, can we crash in your, in no, your we, house? We, we'd send you out in the audience to go find a girl. So, yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh, I remember that happened in, um, in Arizona. I think that was... Was that that tour? I don't know. By the way, if my girlfriend's listening, I, I apologize. I was, <laughs> I was, um, I was living life. I was, li- I was being being the most um, opportune gentleman. But this was back in the day. But um, yeah, I, I, actually, I think that might have been true. I think that might have been. I think I would, I would go to. I'm actually, I think I did that in Detroit one time. Oh, I definitely remember Detroit. Detroit. Actually, I'm still friends with that girl. She moved to. Um, to New York, she's actually super cool. You know, I never actually did anything with her, but I did. I kicked the trust. Like, hey, girl, let me hang with you. And I, she gave me nothing, but we still got to stay at her place. And then, yeah, then the five of us would all like find a corner and try. And- Listen, sleep. I still bring a sleeping bag on tour just in case. You never know when you're gonna have to sleep on a, a floor or a couch or, or, or something. Yeah. But um. But anyway, so that was just a really really fun time, and I think it obviously brought us closer together and and made our, our friendship a lot a lot better. And then after that. You went back to Century Media, right? I was at the Syndicate though for oh, you did about the a couple months. Yeah, okay. when they had their label deal. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. And that that was very short lived. What was the label called? It was we put out records. We put out records, and that was the uh, Out of Misery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did the Out of yeah, yeah. Out of Misery re release. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, then when. I kind of saw that that wasn't going to work out and then uh, saw the Century Media people at a festival out in Jersey and yeah, had me come back. And at that time, did you move back or is that when you started working remotely? That's when I started working from home because I was just like, I don't, they had asked me to come back. I said, I I don't want to go to LA. Yeah. And they said, well, you can work wherever you want. So I've been working from home ever since. Yeah. So, so now if we, if we fast forward, I remember you come back and this is around the Earth's blood cycle. So we've kind of yeah. had success and you know gone from being nothing and punching the uh, the trailer, making sixty dollars to we start selling some records, we're doing some big tours, and but then it's kind of we're on this record that we we felt pretty good about, but it was our last record with Century Media. So essentially, we got all the actual promotion basically cut there was nothing the label wasn't putting any money into the record which can't really complain about because if the record cycles over they're not they have no more money to make so why really push the record the record did okay i think we sold like forty thousand or something Mm -hmm. and then um we had really great tours but that's like right when dallas quit and that kind of kind of hindered things a little bit but i remember just talking to you about at that time you seemed to be very down on the music industry and like this is this is where cynical steve (laughs) i think well i just think the writing on the wall was there for the entire music industry that where because i think what happened was downloading happened 
but it didn't affect metal that much at the beginning because the fans were still pretty tactile mm -hmm. and wanted to buy physical and it took a couple extra years for it to affect the metal world and that's when it really started to hit everyone you know yeah i mean yeah i, I remember uh, honestly it was it was they had pretty much told me we weren't going to do another god forbid record yeah i knew like you said the budgets were cut and i think i if i was well, down no, the, the deal what happened was our deal ended it was a time it wasn't a it was basically after you do this record once this date ends there's no yeah. deal yeah and I, yeah so I, th I think it was m more of I'm, I, I, there wasn't anything I could do for you guys. Yeah. And I just remember like, God, this sucks. Like, well, I, I listen, I, I can't speak to who was there in particular, but one thing I, I, I can say is me going back to 2001 and seeing a room full of people that I knew personally and knew like the band, I have heard through other people that essentially there was a changing of the guard, a change of the culture there. And that culture did not like God forbid. And we yeah. became, you know, persona non grata. And to this day, I'm absolutely confused by that. Uh, I don't really understand why, you know, if you look at the numbers at the time, what are we, a top 10 biggest selling artists in America? Top yeah. six, seven, I, don't know, I don't know the actual numbers, but I know how many records we sold. I know what the sound scans are. We have two records that sold about 70, 75,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Another record, probably like I said, probably sold another forty. Another one probably sold like thirty. That's pretty good. I think it's pretty That's really good. good. Yeah, but it's still kind of it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, that like I'll go and um, start my new band, Vegas Nerve, and you know, not no, not not interested. I'm like, it's kind of weird. I feel like at you look at a Roadrunner, and they're like. We ride with Max Cavalera. Yep. You go to Metal Bay, it's like, hey, we ride with Corpse Grinder or Nurgle or something. I just feel, I, and I, I feel like for, for whatever reason, I, I feel like I was probably the main figure from the band in terms of songwriting and being the face of the band and not really have that cachet. It's, it's, a, little, it's a bit of a bummer. No, I, I'll I, be a little bit, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I, I agree. You know, and I, don't, and I don't know what happens. Like, did I uh, piss off the wrong person at a party or something? No, I mean, it just, it, there was a lot, a, a whole lot of new people in there who, and, and not, I don't think there was ever anything of, we don't like this guy or we don't like this band. It was, they brought a whole bunch of people in there who, who wanted something different for the label. I think. Yeah. Um, and I remember kind of going like, if, if I didn't say it, thinking like, kind of need a history lesson here. Like there's, yeah. you know, there there's some, great artists on this label that you know you, we wouldn't all be here if it weren't for them well i just um, I, I look at you look at a john schaefer from iced earth you look at uh a nevermore or you look at um you know just some of these uh devin townsend who was with trapping on lad i mean imagine if devin townsend would have stayed part of that like what that as a legacy helps do for a label saying hey we you know that's one thing i look at at Metal Blade, I'm like, yeah, they have bands for 20 years. Yeah. And I think that matters when other labels look and they say, hold on, who's really going to have my back? Oh, he's had Sacred, Sacred Reich for, what was it? Not Sacred Reich, um, John Bush's band. Uh, Armored Saint. Armored Saint. 
they don't sell that many records. Yeah. But it's hey, this is our band. And I and I think that, you know, because this industry is so small and it's so personal, you see that, you know, if you have enough context within the industry of like, okay, I see who's kind of where you're gonna be. I mean, I think there's certain situations with um Roadrunner, for example, where obviously they sold the company and it changed a lot of what what happened with some of their longer term relationships. And I, and I hopefully this isn't coming off like I'm not gonna get a call if somebody you're talking shit on Central. No, no, it's 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 not that. I think it's more just having an honest discussion about you know feeling like I felt proud to be part of the legacy of Central yeah. Media. You know, and I you know it it, it, it would, I think in the long term it would have been nice to get a little more on the back end. And listen, I've been, you know, having Gitter over there, he's brought me in on a few projects, you know, like I said, with Body Count and Stitched Up Heart. And obviously I'm friends with a lot of people over there. So I definitely, um, I hold no ill ill will. Um, but it's just, you know, we're kind of just talking out loud and hopefully having an open yeah. open discussion about some of this like stuff. Like I said, I don't I don't think it was anything negative. It was just yeah. like, there's so many new people. They just, they just didn't know, they didn't know the history. They yeah. didn't know who, who you were um, or, <laughs> you know or, or yeah what you you've done or what you did to the label yeah so well, it's, it's 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 very it's very fascinating but like i said i think in time that record earth split i think has become even in my mind it's it's aged about as well as anything we've done so it's kind of unfortunate that it never really got the push yeah but um but anyway so but but, but speaking to that i remember a lot of you were telling me at the time because all the the industry is losing so much money that you were basically tasked with saying, hey, we're going to sign baby bands, essentially with these really small budgets. And it's is that the throwing everything against the wall and see what sticks tactic? I think this is around the time. What was the uh, uh, I wrestled a bear once? Is that since CM? Yeah. You know, and, and that kind of new wave of, of of bands and kind of changing of, of of the guard i mean yeah there 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 was something like that i mean to like you know with you guys and shadows fall um marco who was the president at the time you know the other bands would come up and he was no we, we're not we have we're going to focus on these two we don't yeah. need we passed on quite a few bands that went off to pretty end up ended up being pretty pretty successful yeah but he didn't want to do that because he wanted to focus on youtube and they felt like that was a a an error that that came back yeah or may have been an error you know? it might have been like yeah. who, who knows like you can't you, who knows yeah you know like if obviously we're if, not part of those discussions <laughs> <laughs> but i so i remember the owner at the time saying hey we 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 kind of fucked up we should have signed more bands on earth black dahlia you know but, I'll, I'll heard be, that, but i heard that with on earth you got everyone wanted on earth they they did so they're everyone i think it was just a situation of a being outbidded or b them having a different preference yeah i don't i'm not i don't i think we actually did yeah we did try to sign on earth but there are other ones that we we definitely turned down uh, as la dying i think one of them yeah. like it was like well no we have we have we don't need them we have bands like that and yeah. we're gonna focus on so I, I had remembered Robert was like, all right, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. So that, the, you know, that whole, the, the death core scene was coming up in the MySpace. Yeah, that was, you guys had a, as Blood Runs Black. We didn't know. We had a we su- Suicide Silence. Um, oh, Suicide, of Winds of Plague. Um, Arsonist Get All the Girls, I think was kind of, yeah. you know. And so Robert had said, 
don't we're not going to make that same mistake twice you sign them all yeah and it was i don't think that's a bad a bad strategy um what i was just kind of referring to was more the but from a budget standpoint of not really having as much resources to break something it was more mm-hmm. like get them under contract get a record out and see what happens kind of thing yeah i think i think there was but Suicide Silence, they they were touted too because they were a big MySpace band, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of hype, and they already they it was in a sense. I think you look at them. I guess in this moment as well was signed around that time mm-hmm. of this MySpace boom of, all right, there's a band that has a bunch of hype on MySpace, has a lot of followers. Will this translate into record sales? Will this translate? Is there actually an audience? And it proved. There was, yeah, right. It kind of proved the power of social media at a time when we were still figuring out what social media was. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, it was kind. Of, it, there, there was some truth to that of just sign them, get them out touring, and and see who who rises. Yeah. Um, so, how much longer did you stay at Century Media? After uh, that? I think I, I left there three years ago. Three years ago, yeah. and then did you immediately go to Prosthetic? Yeah. And was that a, a lateral move? It was just a different look or just kind of a different a culture shift or um, just personal relationships with, with EJ maybe just. Well, I, I, I had known EJ for years, you know, I, he and I always got along, you know, there were some bands that a Sentry wasn't interested in, you know, I'd tell him to check out when I, when I left Sentry Media, I sent a whole bunch of bands his way. So we'd always gotten in, gotten along and kept in touch. And, you know, just those last few years that Century Media for me were just, they just, they weren't, they were terrible. Yeah. You know, it just was not happy. There was just so much, so much bullshit. So many, so, so many parts. I was exposed to so many parts of the industry that I just, I didn't like. Um, it just wasn't fun anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's, and it was this them kind of moving more in the active rock direction and it was, yeah, was this- it was, yeah, it was that, um, you know, playing the radio game. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they just got, it was still a very, and it still is a very big label. You know, I, I was just telling someone the other day, it's like at prosthetic, I could find a band, talk to the band send them a contract and have them signed in 24 hours like and, and that, <laughs> that that's has, happened that's happened. that has happened i don't know if that's smart on the band <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah <laughs> they should probably have someone look at that yeah but like you know that something like that couldn't could never happen at at century and now that there was sony but i don't think there's any way in hell that could happen yeah um well that generally doesn't happen in the industry at all though right i mean how many labels can really say they can do that in 24 hours yeah i mean but you know there's or been a few that. in 24 hours there's been a few in just a couple days um and you know it's like it's it's independent metal you know mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not doing it for the paycheck you're doing it because you love the music yeah. you love the bands and you want to help them out um and i just didn't feel like i was doing that really at, at yeah. century so is that is that what is passion what pushes you or keeps you in this industry? Yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing I think I've noticed is the biggest difference between what I was doing and being involved with Bad Wolves where this side of the industry in a label like Eleven Seven, where the potential, right, for some of these bands and the amount of records they can sell and the amount of 
publishing and all the this the it's a different world and it made me realize like in the underground metal world 90 percent of those people are doing it because they love it because they want to be there it's not their their motivations are completely different like it is, it is really driven by passion and, and i i love that i love yeah. the idea of you know even our, our like bus drivers like every day it's wearing like a death shirt or a pestilence and he's he probably drives a bus part partly partly because this is part of the lifestyle of the yeah. music and all this stuff and and, and you know I, I i just love things that are passion driven in it and in a way it's always going to keep me connected to that world is you know the people that i've known for years are there for the right reasons or i mean listen i maybe i shouldn't even say the right reason i say different reasons you know reasons that more align with my values yeah yeah same i mean there's nothing wrong with Want to make money, that, or something. Yeah. yeah, and the the radio world and all, all of that. It's just that's just not for me. Yeah, I hear you. I I, I hear you. So, um, actually, one one last question. And I'll, I'll I'll let you go. And thank you so much for being on the show. You know, hopefully you didn't say anything that'll get you fired somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and this, and this is part of the, the 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 doing the autopsy. Is there what is your theory as to why God forbid didn't get to a certain level or do you have a theory oh man is it, it, it take all day <laughs> no no I, I don't i really don't and i re, i remember being in the van discussing it with you guys and it's like what are we doing not not we i say we because it's like yeah you feel like you're a part of the yeah. team like what no, you guys did nothing wrong it was like musically you know might might be biased but you know com compare you to any of these other bands it's like you're right there if not better you guys put in the work you know you did nothing wrong and i remember just the frustration you guys all had and i felt it too like what why why isn't this connecting i don't i don't know i don't I, <laughs> that, we're just sitting here with our our, our fingers on our hands but i would say at least when those discussions more we were having were pre gone forever and having actually having the band having some sort of breakthrough. Yeah, I but it it I, I think even then it was still like you know seeing some of your peers jump ahead of you. Yeah, it, it, it was frustrating. And even you know going back and listening to the catalog, it's like man, those records stand up and even just sound like nothing else that was coming out around then mm -hmm. I, I don't know I, I i really don't um all right i mean i, I you know I, I remember we discussed race like could that be it yeah and and everyone was like no that can't that, that can't be it i mean it could be but I, <laughs> then you could look at x band that has yeah. a black singer and say well they're doing yeah. fine is it, it or is it yeah do we have too many blacks in the band is that it is, do we break the black quotient did we just <laughs> We should we should have one less black. And we I remember turn. thinking that really sucked that, we, that, <laughs> that it had gone to that because it was like, but we've exhausted all other possibilities. Like what, you know, like because, yeah. So that's why when you asked me that question, like I I don't know, I don't have an answer, and I, yeah. Uh. Well, that's all right. I think uh, sometimes just having the conversation and kind of kind of figured out because eventually I'll have spoken to everyone. And we'll have a complete picture and we'll be able to figure out <laughs> what the hell happened. But I personally, I've said this before on here and I'll say it again. I think a lot of it was 
attitude, I think, within, within, within the band. And that idea of being pissed off that such and such band had gone ahead, that I think is not a healthy attitude. And then you feel entitled. You know, I think a little bit of that, and this is this is what I'm talking about. When the band started to have success, yeah. See, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that because yeah. I deal with, I've dealt with hundreds of bands who all feel have, have all have that attitude. They, yeah. Everyone, after a certain while, feels that they need, and the biggest bands feel like, well, we should even, we should be bigger. So yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, well, I th listen, I, th I think that's fair. I'm, I'm the type of person who tends to uh, take own personal accountability for something and and you know I, I just think the blame game gets a little um dicey you know where you, you don't really want to well it's it's the world that's cruel and that's why x didn't happen i think you have to see what you could have done better even if it's you know not necessarily trying to relitigate the past but saying how do i want to engage forward with my life and say don't make these mistakes again and also get my head right and you know and say well i'm doing this because i want this to happen because i remember just being so invested in a record selling this many copies or this show has to draw this many people and then it doesn't do that and then you realize all your eggs were in that basket of i need this result to happen and then you stop enjoying the process of what it is so that's kind of how i've dealt with that through the years of, of saying, all right, don't get so wrapped up in this stuff because this is not what's ultimately important. It's like, do you enjoy what you're doing today? Yes or no, right? And listen, if, and if it's not, if you, if you play a show and five people show up and you didn't enjoy what you did that day, then yes, then those two things do correlate. And so you need to figure out how to make that work for you, so. Yeah. Anyway, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I love you, brother. Love you too. Well. That was my conversation with Steve Joe. I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's great to get a little bit of that insider type of background. You know, even a lot of this stuff, what was going on behind the scenes with the label, I'm not wasn't even privy to at the time. So it is kind of illuminating for me. And and to get that, you know, the, you know these guys who I think and gals for that matter are somewhat mysterious to the the musicians who are still at an amateur level or trying to work their way up and you know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and i i think that stuff is is really fascinating and i'm i'm still learning stuff and it's you know and there's like that world which is very much in this indie mold and now i'm kind of moving into this more like major label world and learning how that works um that was really emblematic in my last episode i did with uh, sahaj ticketin and, you know, because he has a lot of that major label experience and it's um, it's interesting kind of putting the whole picture together. So huge thanks to Steve for coming on the show. I love that guy. And it's always wonderful to see him right now. I'm going to go watch the NBA draft. You know, let's you know, we should all together pray for the for my Knicks that they pick someone good and, you know, someone who, who does well and good, you know. As you see, I have a lot of lot of words. Like Trump, I have the best words. And um I'm working on it, you know. I'm really working on it, guys. You know, I'm gonna go I have a nice coffee in the in the in the fridge. I'm gonna fuck that up. Um I haven't had any donuts today. Actually, real quick, I need to shout out uh Syracuse, New York, and this motherfucker they had this moon pie. It was called a moon pie. I don't know what the hell this shit was. 
it was one of the greatest snacks I've ever had in my life. I have to find out where that was from, because um, when I get the uh, the diabetes, uh, that's where I need to go for it next, because that shit was the bomb. So shout out to Syracuse and the Moon Pie. Um, do I have any other shout outs to do? Um, who else? Oh, yes, it was my my niece's birthday, so I gotta give, give shout out London, happy birthday, and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. You know, I'm gonna go watch the NBA draft, drink some old coffee. And uh, and actually eat some barbecue, living life, living life. Oh, and they just found out that Battles has another tour for the end of the year. So I'm gonna be on tour basically for the rest of my life. So good luck uh, catching me in a, in any local area doing anything. So anyway, love you guys. Uh, rate and review the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell your mama. Tell your cousins. Do some shit. Sell some medicine, bitches. Mama out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>